pain has reached epidemic proportions in America. I'm Dr. Paul Christo. This is Aches and Gains. Dr. Paul Christo is one of America's leading experts on relieving pain. He's board-certified, Harvard-trained, and a pain medicine specialist at Johns Hopkins. U.S. News & World Report ranks him as a top doctor and among the top 1% in the nation for pain management. Becker's Review selected him as one of the 70 best pain management physicians in America. He's listed as a super doctor for the Washington, D.C., Baltimore, Northern Virginia area. Aches and Gains is a weekly talk show covering all aspects of pain and pain relief. The human impact is real. Older adults, children, and even infants struggle to cope with pain. But there's hope, and there are treatments that can ease pain and suffering. The show offers compelling stories about people who've found relief. We share cutting-edge treatments from contributing experts, and we offer ways to help people cope with their pain. Welcome to the show. Imagine a tick bite stealing your childhood, making you crazy, and almost killing you. This is how our first guest, Allie Hilfiger, the daughter of designer Tommy Hilfiger, describes her painful experience with Lyme disease. It's scary to know that the Centers for Disease Control report that Lyme disease is the fastest-growing vector-borne disease in America. About 10 to 20 percent of patients develop the chronic form of the disease called post-Lyme disease syndrome. This can cause headaches, migrating joint and muscle pain, and even shooting pain down the arms or legs, as well as stinging pain in the feet. It can even lead to sleep disturbances, extreme fatigue, and memory impairment. All of this from bacteria that are transmitted by the bite of an infected tick the size of a pencil point. With the right treatments, though, the pain and other symptoms can be controlled. We'll find out how from both of today's guests. Allie Hilfiger will share her 20-year struggle with beating post-Lyme disease syndrome and offering hope for overcoming the disease. Then Dr. Harriet Katsouris joins us. She's the Chief Scientific Officer for Global Lyme Alliance. The organization focuses on conquering tick-borne disease through research and education. Dr. Katsouris will give us the latest on risk, diagnosis, and effective treatments for Lyme disease. Aches and Gains is supported by Medtronic. Teva Pharmaceuticals, The Pain Community, and Boston Scientific. For live online listening to Aches and Games, please go to paulchristomd.com. To access podcasts of the show, please go to paulchristomd.com. Allie Hilfiger is a producer, actress, fashion designer, writer, and Lyme disease survivor. She starred in Rich Girls for MTV, produced the feature film Proud in the House with Ali Hilfiger on NTW in Nantucket and was featured in the documentary Dressed. She's the daughter of designer Tommy Hilfiger and currently lives in Los Angeles. Ali, welcome to Aches and Gains. Hi, thank you for having me. Talk to us about what you're up to today. Today, I'm, I wrote a book and I'm spreading awareness about Lyme disease and hopefully helping raise funds to find an accurate diagnosis and cure. Well, those are all worthwhile causes. And you've written a book called Bite Me, which is a description of your experience with Lyme disease. Uh, let's start from the beginning. How old were you when your first symptoms occurred? My symptoms began at the age of seven, and my mother actually found a tick on me at seven years old. Mm-hmm. And the symptoms progressed. I actually got into a really bad snowboarding accident at the age of 13, and I dislocated my hip. Okay. And 
after that, the symptoms really skyrocketed, mm-hmm. and they went into my brain, and it became cognitive as well as physical. What were those symptoms exactly, though? I had a lot of um, joint and muscle pains. Mm-hmm. I would complain that my legs hurt a lot. Mommy, my legs hurt, my legs hurt, my knees hurt a lot. Right. And a lot of strep throats and headaches. What did your parents think was happening to you at that time? You know, they, they really didn't know. I mean, they, they brought me to the pediatrician and, you know, they even tested the tick and the yeah. tick's uh, results came back inconclusive. Some of the symptoms that you mentioned are, are common with patients who have post-Lyme disease syndrome. The shooting pain, the muscle pains, the arthritic pain, numbness in hands and feet. I mean, it can be really devastating. Now, Allie, it sounds like your mom often would say to you, well, just buck up and get on with it. And, and you know, when I read that in your book, it reminded me of, of many of my patients who tell me that their family members will say the same thing. But how hard is that to hear? Well, it's frustrating because there is not validation associated with how you're feeling. And, mm-hmm. and I associated how the way I was reacting to my pain was weak. Yes. And a, like that I was a complainer. Right. I actually zipped my lips right after the pediatrician when I was seven years old, eight years old, said, listen, it's just growing pains. Oh, wow. And I thought, well, I guess everybody feels like this. I'm just going to be quiet. And then after that snowboarding accident, there was no shutting my mouth. <laughs> right. You know, did your parents feel at all that you were over-dramatizing your pain? Oh, yeah. My mom did. My mom thought, oh, she's an actress. She's just being dramatic. Uh-huh. And at times I had to actually add a little bit of drama so that she would hear me. And it didn't work. (laughs) (laughs) What did your friends think when you were in school? In middle school, I really was very quiet about it. I was at an all-girls Catholic school, and I felt alienated enough. You you don't want to feel like you're a weak person. And unfortunately, what I learned through this experience is I was actually much stronger and much smarter than... I ever, ever gave myself credit for. Well, now, that must have been very, very validating for you. Allie, how did your symptoms of Lyme disease progress from those days of a child to your teenage years? My vision became very blurry. I was unable to focus or read anymore. Mm -hmm. Oh, my goodness, my memory. It It was really frightening how terrible it was. The fatigue, the muscle pains, as I would get sick a lot. Then it graduated into a state of psychosis for a short period of time. Wow. And that's when my father really was frightened and he put me into the uh, mental institution in the hospital. Yes, and and it got to the point where your life, your health, had deteriorated to such a degree uh, that your dad, uh, Tommy Hilfiger, had made a decision that really changed your life, but that required that you be committed to a psychiatric hospital. Now, speaking of memory struggles, you walked around New York City with a video camera and a Polaroid camera at one point. What were you afraid you'd forget? I was afraid that I would forget memories of my friends and the times that we had. My siblings tell me, I'm the eldest of four, they told me that we had a place that in our yard, and I just totally forgot. I had no idea. Mm-hmm. So there are different vacations that I don't remember that we went on. So, you know, having this video camera and this Polaroid camera really made me think that maybe I wouldn't forget. Yeah, I bet. Uh, now, Allie, did you have any bladder problems? Actually, yes, I did. I have a lot of bladder problems. <laughs> <laughs> so interesting that you should ask that. I actually wrote this in the book. Every time I would laugh, I, and I would laugh a lot, I'm a very happy person. Mm-hmm. 
I would pee in my pants. I would soak through my whole uniform skirts, and it was embarrassing. I mean, I, of course, made fun of myself, and everyone laughed with me or at me or both. It was a huge part of my growing up, and I had no idea that it was associated with Lyme. Well, now, I'm hoping that it's better today. (laughs) I had a baby 15 months ago. so (laughs) (laughs) So when I laugh, like, way too hard, and I just, I mean, I just cannot control it. Yeah. And I try so hard. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I completely understand. Now, with respect to symptoms, when you were age seven and bitten by that tick, did you ever experience that typical bullseye rash? No, and that's a huge misconception. You don't necessarily have to have a rash uh, in order to have Lyme disease. Exactly right. I think only half of patients experience a rash. Now, Ali, you were also diagnosed with multiple other diseases like mononucleosis and fibromyalgia, rheumatoid arthritis, and even multiple sclerosis. Why did the doctors feel as though you had these other conditions? I think because my symptoms aligned with the other symptoms of these diseases, and maybe they found something in my blood. I don't remember, to be quite honest with you. Mm-hmm. But I still knew in my heart of hearts that, you know, MS, fibromyalgia, and arthritis. None of the treatments were working and anti-inflammatories and all of those. No, and that must have been extremely frustrating. Listen, we have to take a break. When we come back, we'll find out what other conditions Lyme disease can mimic and how it affected Allie. You'll really be surprised. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and you're listening to Aches and Gains. Aches and Gains is supported by Teva, the leading global pharmaceutical company committed to increasing access to high-quality health care by developing, producing, and marketing affordable generic medicines, as well as innovative and specialty pharmaceuticals. If you have any questions or comments for Dr. Christo, please email him at achesandgains at gmail.com. That's achesandgains at gmail.com. Welcome back. We're here with Allie Hilfiger, daughter of designer Tommy Hilfiger, who has described her painful experience with Lyme disease in a book called Bite Me. Allie, you use a quote by Dr. Richard Horowitz in your book, who says that in children and adolescents, Lyme disease can mimic developmental delays, uh, attention deficit disorder, obsessive compulsive disorder, and anorexia, just to name a few. And some of these significantly affected you, didn't they? Yes. ADD and ADHD is what I was diagnosed with in the, the different learning centers that I was sent to. Mm-hmm. And, and that could be true, by the way, because my family, certain members of my family also have ADD. Mm-hmm. It was complicated and confusing to other people. I was also very fidgety in the seat when I was getting these neurological tests because I was so physically uncomfortable. Yeah, I can imagine. Now, now you also had bouts of rage. You know what? The, the rage episodes started when I was eight years old mm-hmm. and continued up through until I was probably 13 years old. And then that's when the, the hip dislocation happened. And I think that I probably had a couple more after that, just knowing how that pattern went between the relationship with my mother and I. And she and I are very close now. Mm-hmm. But it was, we had a really challenging time. And I was like a really sweet kid before that. It was almost like I was possessed or something. Right. It was scary. Yeah. There were all of these weird little things, and nobody could connect the dots. Well, again, because the symptoms of Lyme disease or post-Lyme disease syndrome, for example, mimic so many other conditions like fibromyalgia and multiple sclerosis and ADHD, as you mentioned earlier. 
Now, Allie, I can see that some who read your book might feel that your exposure to alcohol and marijuana could have led to some of the paranoid symptoms that you were experiencing at that time. Mm-hmm. The alcohol was not really a big part. It was really the marijuana. I smoked a lot of pot to ease my symptoms. It really helped with the severe nausea, Mm -hmm. the joint pain, and I was tired and out of it and no memory already, so I thought, well, what the hell? I might as well just be (laughs) 17. And, you know, a lot of 17-year-olds just smoke weed because it's fun. Uh, Okay, and in fact, we have emerging evidence that marijuana can be useful for treating a variety of painful conditions. We have much more ground to cover with Ali Hilfiger on our next show, so please join us. Up next is Dr. Harriet Kutsouris, Chief Scientific Officer for Global Lyme Alliance. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and you're listening to Aches and Gains. Aches and Gains is supported by The Pain Community, a web-based nonprofit created by people living with pain. Check out paincommunity.org for information, references, advocacy tools, and a premium section to securely interact with other members in forums and chat rooms. Boston Scientific, a leader in microelectric implantable technologies used to treat chronic neuropathic pain. Medtronic, a global leader in medical technology, alleviating pain, restoring health, and extending life for millions of people around the world. Visit TameThePain.com to learn about treatment options for chronic pain. Dr. Harriet Kutsouris is a neurologist who's board certified both in neurology and internal medicine. Before joining Global Lyme Alliance, she practiced neurology for nearly 20 years in Stamford, Connecticut, dealing with the neurological complications of Lyme disease. Dr. Katsouras, welcome to Aches and Gains. Thank you. Thank you for having me. First, tell us about your role for the Global Lyme Alliance. I oversee the research grant program and assist them in uh, any scientific aspects of the operations. Well, you're doing great work. Harriet, the CDC has said that Lyme disease is the fastest-growing vector-borne disease in America. And by vector, we mean an organism, in this case, the tick, that transmits a pathogen, in this case, the bacteria called Borrelia burgdorferi, to a host or a human being. Now, I mean, that's pretty scary. Why is all this happening? I believe it has a lot to do with several factors, uh, climate change or global warming, Mm -hmm. changes in migratory patterns of birds, small mammals that act as secondary reservoirs and carry the ticks all over the country. Okay. And also uh, the fact that uh, with suburban sprawl, we have some areas that have been torn down and then repopulated or reforested, and that has brought in populations of animals such as deer that are looking for their niche, and um, they're in our backyard. Exactly. Now, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention has significantly increased the estimate of the annual number of new cases of Lyme disease in the United States from 30,000 to 300,000 or more. Is this just a result of underreported cases? Probably underreported, underappreciated, but they looked back at laboratory testing and the prescription of doxycycline, uh, one of the uh, mainstays of treatment of of acute Lyme disease. Mm -hmm. And using a mathematical paradigm, they were able to calculate the incidence of acute Lyme disease in the United States on a yearly basis. And uh, 329,000 is probably right there in the middle. It could be as high as 440,000, maybe even higher. Wow. But that's not uh, just the United States alone. They're seeing a similar 
uh, trend also in Western Europe mm-hmm. and elsewhere in the world hmm. with uh, tick-borne diseases and the Lyme equivalents. Now, give us an overview of how we get Lyme disease. The uh, human is an accidental host of a nymph or an adult tick carrying Borrelia burgdorferi, the causative organism of Lyme disease in the United States. Mm -hmm. And uh, when the tick bites a human host, um, after a certain amount of time of of blood feeding, uh, the uh, organism, the bacterium, will pass into the bloodstream of the of the human host and infect the patient. Harriet, talk about the rash, the typical bullseye rash that in reality isn't that typical. It's probably there about half the time, 50%. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it's hard to estimate because you'll see things varying from 40 to 80%. Hmm. The problem is that sometimes the rash, first of all, doesn't look like the typical bullseye. Right. And also it may be in a place that, that a person may not able to readily see, you know, in the scalp, uh, hairline, or on a person's back. And Mm -hmm. unless you're really looking or have somebody look for you, you may miss it. Exactly. And Harriet, what are the major risk factors for contracting Lyme disease? Obviously, people who are outside in the outdoors a lot, landscapers, children playing in playground or school fields, mm-hmm. hikers, that, that kind of population where there, there's an ex- a heightened exposure to ticks. Are there certain parts of the country where we're more vulnerable? Ticks are present in all 50 states, and Lyme disease has been reported in all 50 states. There are clear uh, hot zones, mm-hmm. the uh, Northeast and the Upper Midwest, okay. and now we're we're coming to realize that it's also a burgeoning problem in uh, Northern California and the Pacific Northwest. Wow. Now, kids are more at risk than adults, aren't they? Yes. It's a bracket, 3 to 14, but there's actually a little peak within that 3 to 14 age range of about five, age 5 to age 9, where you'll see even higher numbers. Hmm. These are uh, the children that are contracting Lyme disease, probably because they tend to play outdoors, they're in areas that may uh, harbor ticks, and uh, also we have our pets, and uh, children will play with their pet dog uh, that may be bringing in ticks from the outside, or even babies. Wow. Think about it, if you're outside uh, having a picnic, you place a blanket down on the grass, your child on the blanket, the ticks could easily crawl onto anybody sitting on the ground. That's right. What's also frightening is that the tick is extremely small. I mean, I think the size of a pencil point, which makes it extremely tough to detect. Oh, yes, absolutely. The nymph is the, the size of a pinhead. Mm-hmm. An adult tick is more like a poppy seed. Okay. And that's why nymphs, in general, are the ones that transmit the illness more than the adult tick, because they are tiny, they're not seen, they have opportunity to engorge themselves and pass the bacteria on, whereas with an adult tick, at least you have a fighting chance. You'll see it, maybe see it crawling on you before it gets a chance to bite. Wow, okay. Now, I bet this is going to be the toughest question for you to answer. How is Lyme disease diagnosed? <laughs> That's the big problem. Uh-huh. If you have the characteristic erythema migrans rash and you live in an endemic area, you're, you're diagnosed. Okay. If you have vague flu-like symptoms, the only way right now to diagnose this is through a blood test, the two-tier blood test, which is much less than perfect. Mm-hmm. 
And so, you know, it's very difficult diagnosis to make. However, you should be suspect because if you get the flu in the summertime, that's a little odd. Now, are you saying that if you have the characteristic rash and you live in, say, the Northeast, that you have the diagnosis even without a blood test? That's correct, because actually in the first three to four weeks, it's highly unlikely you'll have a a positive blood test Mm -hmm. because these these blood tests that are available currently on the market uh, uh, deal with the production of antibodies on the part of the patient. Right. And it takes a few weeks for the, this antibody response to be mounted. Mm-hmm. So it may be there within three to four weeks. And even, and even then, it may not be robust enough for, um, for it to be detected by the blood test. Yeah, I mean, that makes it tough. Now, Dr. Katsouras, talk about the two-tiered test, the ELISA and then the Western blot. It's the ELISA, which is basically against a whole conglomerate of, of uh, Borrelia burgdorferi proteins, is mm-hmm. positive. Mm-hmm. Then, in order to make sure it's not a false positive, the laboratory will then perform a Western blot, an immunoglobulin M and an immuno, immunoglobulin G. The immunoglobulin M is characteristic of an acute infection and usually disappears within several months as the immunoglobulin G rises to indicate a later infection. That would be the adaptive response to the infection. And not everybody gets this. It's basically a coin toss that your two-tier test will be diagnostic and positive. That's how poor a test and how unreliable it is. And that's what really confounds the diagnosis and treatment of Lyme disease. So it seems like the best way to diagnose Lyme disease is through blood tests plus a thorough history and physical with a focus on the mental status exam. Yes, that could be helpful because there are some features that would make a clinician suspicious. Signs and symptoms that come and go, like turning on and off of a light switch, unusual uh, fevers, aches and pains that uh, migrate, a brain fog, an imbalance when walking, maybe pins and needles, numbness, burning in hands and feet, mm-hmm. palpitations. Lyme carditis is one of the worst complications of, of acute Lyme disease. So right now, until we get a better diagnostic test, it's really the art of medicine that play. You have to be a good clinician and listen to the patient carefully, and it's a diagnosis of exclusion. You've got to make sure there isn't anything else going on, and and if this is all you're left with, then it very well may be the diagnosis. And even if you're diagnosed in a timely fashion and receive antibiotics, you still may be at risk for developing post-Lyme disease syndrome. Right, which unfortunately... You know, the longer you wait to treat, the more likely you will be a treatment, what we call a treatment failure, Mm -hmm. that the antibiotics will not cure you and you'll go on to a chronic phase. Right. So prompt early diagnosis is important because then you have a more than fighting chance at being uh, treated effectively. Okay. The problem also with Lyme disease, to make matters worse, is that even when treated properly and in a timely fashion, there still is a treatment failure rate of 10 to 20%. Mm-hmm. So this is a really nasty infection. It really is. Because the Lyme organism also, as if you know, the fact that it can hide deeply in tissues and do all sorts of other things, if that weren't bad enough, this Lyme organism also confuses 
a patient's immune system many times. Mm-hmm. It evades the immune system. It sickens the immune system. So the antibody response may not be robust or appropriate enough to be detected in a blood test. That's right. And remember that it's probably helpful to get the blood test before starting antibiotics, because if you get it afterwards, that blood test may be negative. Dr. Kutsouras, thanks so much for joining us today on Aches and Gains. Oh, you're very welcome. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And please join us for part two of the show, because we have so much more to discuss and learn about Lyme disease and post-Lyme disease syndrome. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and this is Aches and Gains. The views and opinions expressed in this radio program are solely the views of Dr. Paul Christo and do not necessarily express the views of this radio station and Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine, nor an endorsement by any or all of them of any of its content. This show provides medical information, not advice. Please consult your personal physician before engaging in any course of treatment or use of any of the techniques or products discussed on this show. Discussion of particular uses of products on this show have not been approved by any of the manufacturers of such products. To access podcasts of the show, please go to paulchristomd.com. That's paulchristomd.com. Aches and Gains is produced by Tom Blair and Ty Ford. Elsa Langford is the technical consultant and engineer. Dr. Paul Christo is the executive producer. Thanks for listening. This is Aches and Gains with Dr. Paul Christo.